Welcome to Accelerating Government with Act IAC on Federal News Network. Now your host, Dave Winogren. Welcome to the show that brings together government and industry leaders to accelerate government mission outcomes. Later in today's episode, we'll be discussing technology opportunities with the Department of Labor CIO. But first up today, we'll be covering diversity, equity, and inclusion issues and efforts across the federal government with our guest, Dr. Janice Underwood, the government-wide chief diversity officer at the Office of Personnel Management. Welcome to the show, Janice. Well, thank you so much for having me. As you mentioned, my name is Janice Underwood. I would like to just say my pronouns are she, hers. And for visual description, I'm an African-American woman, light skin, hazel eyes, light brown, graying hair. And today I have on a coral dress. So great to be with you today. It is great to have you. It's great to have you on the show. Before we get into the important work that you're doing in your current job, I thought it would be great to just share with our audience a little bit about your background and your life journey that came before your two most recent jobs. Yeah. So my entry point into DEIA work, and just to level set, I mean diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, which really does sort of, um, I guess I often say the prize for DEIA is belonging and justice and equality. Um, that's how you get to opportunity. Um, my entry point into this work began as a nationally board certified special education teacher that taught teach that taught students a love for biology. So I was a K-12 biology teacher. Um, I became a teacher educator, and then I began to train teachers how to um, really engage students across um, so many different dimensions of diversity. Um, My research at Old Dominion University was in the area of culturally relevant pedagogy in STEM-H fields. I then led the teacher and residence program where we uh, reformed uh, science education at Old Dominion University uh, in 2015 to really be leaning and leveraging DEI principles to, to get to better outcomes. I became the ODU director of diversity. And then that caught the, all the work that I was doing there caught the eye of the then 73rd governor of Virginia. Uh, from uh, asking me to be the Virginia Chief Diversity Officer for the for the Office of Governor, which brings me to my current role as government wide Chief Diversity Officer. So all in all, I'll just share that my work across the field it has really intersected in public service at the local, state, and federal levels. I am someone who has a heart for people. I think that's the most important thing I want people to know that DEIA is for all of us. And it's how we get closer to the original promises of liberty and justice for all. Wonderful. Before coming to the federal government-wide position that you're in now, you were the Commonwealth of Virginia's first cabinet-level chief diversity officer. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, yeah, that was the first position of its kind to be in state government. I was the first chief diversity officer or secretary level, cabinet level chief diversity officer to serve a governor in the nation. Um, since that time, several other states have followed suit. I was honored to lead the entire equity strategy for the Commonwealth of Virginia under the leadership of former Governor Ralph Northam. In that role, uh, I launched the One Virginia Plan across more than 100 state agencies. And more broadly, uh, my role was to think about legislation, 
leaders in logistics, and to ensure, um, I often say that we meet our one Virginia mission and vision, um, to ensure that Virginia is a place where people want to come to work, live, learn, visit, and um, and truly and truly thrive. And so, um, that was probably one of the most incredible professional highlights of my career because we were able to uh, also serve Virginia and serve as an exemplar during the darkest times in our country during the COVID-19 pandemic. And in my role, I also led the health equity leadership team and the health equity strategy across both the Virginia Department of Health and the Virginia Department of Emergency Management in coordination with the governor's office. And so both doing the work to lead equity and solve problems with diversity, equity, and inclusion more generally for the state workforce also did it in terms of external community engagement to really advance um, solutions to our most challenging problems. And by the way, you know, because we had an equity strategy, CNBC announced that we were the best state for which to do business in 2021. And in part, it was it was contributed to our equity strategy. Well, as a resident, I want to say thank you for all that you accomplished in that job. And you're racking up a lot of firsts in your outstanding career because that adventure then led you to your current position as the federal government's first government-wide chief diversity officer. So tell us a little bit about that job and what it entails. Well, yeah, this is a really exciting new role. Um, while the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion and Accessibility never really existed before 2021, it did exist as the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. And what we knew um, was that we needed to add the E and the A, equity and accessibility, because, um, like I said, the goal of DEIA is fairness and equal opportunity and um, certainly belonging for our federal workforce. White House Executive Order 14035 is the DEIA in the federal government um, executive order that President Biden signed on June 2021. And since that time, one of the deliverables has been for OPM to contribute to the government-wide implementation of that EO. So with a with a all-star team of interagency partners, we call ourselves the DEIA initiative, uh, working with the EEOC, working with OMB, working with the Domestic Policy Council, together we have truly created a government-wide strategy for creating a better workforce for the American people. And that's how we're going to deliver on our mission to meet the needs of the American people. But the role of government-wide chief diversity officer is actually a brand new designation that the director of ODEIA has because we stood up the very historical U.S. Chief Diversity Officers Executive Council which um, as a directive uh, in the EO 14035 is really an interagency forum to bring chief diversity officers across the nation together at the national level. And this is where we share best practices and solve some of our nation's most pressing and um, critical uh, workforce issues and really do it from a whole of agency approach, whole of government approach. So the government-wide chief diversity officer is often likened to the top CDO in the nation, if you will. And it's quite the honor to serve in this inaugural role. 
Very good. And it's interesting. It's both, I'll say, a challenge and an opportunity to create new organizations. And, and, and I think that, you know, people oftentimes are uncertain how to do that. And so I'm just wondering if from your experience of having stood up these new organizations, there are any tips for success about how to have a new organization take flight that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, I think the first two that come to mind are over-communication. Uh, and what I mean by that is really making sure that you are talking to all of your stakeholders. And so to stand up something like a federal council um, is really important to talk to the people who came before you. And so the DIG Council um, in years past was was stood up in, in an effort to advance diversity and inclusion. And so it was so important for me to understand lessons learned from the architects of the DIG Council. So making sure you honor the work that came before you. But then also over communicating and doing a lot of um, interagency coordination to ensure that the left hand always knows what the right hand is doing, right? So that we're working together in concert and ensuring that, um, you know, we have tailored messaging to all of our stakeholders and a and that includes agency leadership, um, DEIA leaders, as well as people who don't traditionally think of themselves as a DEIA leader. So how can we pull something like this off? It really does take all of us to do it, not just DEIA leaders. And then on a final note, the lessons learned for this is the communications part of the getting the word out about it. So often in this work, you know, you're told, put your head down, just do the work. We've got to just sort of crank out deliverables. And one of the things that we did and we're trying to continuously do is talk about this work, get the work out into the ethos so that the American people and our federal workforce know that this infrastructure has been created, like the U.S. Chief Diversity Officers Executive Council. Say that fast, right? So making sure we're on social media, making sure we're available to leaders across the nation if they want to meet with us, holding our council meetings. We just had one on uh, March 16th, just a few weeks ago um, or a week ago or so. So I say all that to say constant and over-communication across the national ethos with thought leaders and agency leadership to ensure that our messages are clear and aligned, our missions are clear and aligned, and that we are serving the American people. Over communicating, honoring the work that came before, sharing lessons learned so they're not just, as we sometimes say, lessons observed, all excellent advice from Dr. Janice Underwood, who is the government-wide chief diversity officer. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll continue our conversation. I'm Dave Wintergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. I'm Dave Wintergren, and on the first half of today's show, we're discussing the crucial topics of diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, and justice with Dr. Janice Underwood, the government-wide chief diversity officer at OPM. When we were going to break, Janice, we were talking about standing up the new chief diversity officer organization, and I'm wondering if you could share with the audience, what are some of the initiatives that you're currently working on? Well, in addition to the council, let me just pause here and say outreach, engagement, and, and a technical assistance is the major business line in the office of DEIA. It remains a top priority for me and my team. Um, we held 
the first ever national DEIA summit and national ERG summit in 2022. Um, so basically, why does that matter? Why is that important? It's because in those two major national events that will become a reoccurring annual event, we helped ERG support agencies in creating their DEIA plans and, and trained ERG membership to plug into their agencies. Again, that over-communication and making sure stakeholders at every level of an agency were part of this um, development of the DEIA strategic plans. And for our 2022 DEIA Summit, we provided professional learning and, and promising practices in disability employment. You know, this is so incredibly important because our goal was to elevate the A in the DEI and A, right? To ensure that accessibility is at the heart of all that we do because we know that uh, the federal workforce, in particular employees with disabilities, are often left off out of the conversation. And so we wanted to ensure that they were part of the conversation. We were doing this work with them, uh, for them, and for the community, which is so important. And so the promising practices were discussed by more than 70 top leaders across the nation in and outside of government. And so for that, those two events alone, we are still riding um, with so much excitement and momentum that... Um, we're starting to see the fruits of our labor, the successes that we're seeing are, are, are budding from those two major events. As you look broadly across government and the work that's going on on this very crucial topic, what are some of the advances and successes that you're seeing in government that, you, you know, that we ought to hold a spotlight up to? Well, I am so glad you asked that. I'm on fire, if you can't tell. Uh, I love your enthusiasm, I'm just going to say. <laughs> Every time I hear can... you speak, I get more motivated. <laughs> we can talk all day. Um, truly, one of the things that I'm so incredibly proud of is our team um, added and launched DEIA items and questions uh, to the FEVS scores uh, and to the FEVS survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey. And so there were specific questions related to the D, the E, the I, and the A. And we operationally defined each one to get employee perceptions on what how we're doing and what they thought about the D, the E, the I, and the A, right? And so we got the FEVS scores back. They were released. And the score suggested that overall Fed federal employee perceptions of DEIA in the workplace are relatively high. The government-wide index score was 69%. While this is, is a success, it truly is just a start. One of my goals for my office is to increase that baseline of 69% by six percentage points by the time of the next FEV survey. And so it's a lofty goal, but certainly one that I hope that we meet. Um, but also some other incredible successes are um, we launched the first ever, this is incredible, DEIA annual report. And I encourage all of your listeners to go to opm.gov or go to your favorite internet search engine and just type in DEIA annual report. You can type in my name. It's going to pop right up. Uh, this is historical in nature. You say, why, Janice? because never before have we had a DEIA report that provided this transparent um, idea of our progress. What have we done since the EO? 
was signed in 2021 by President Biden, but also what is the vision and path forward to ensure that this report provides the American public as well as the federal workforce insight into our progress? Groundbreaking, and it is my greatest honor to be part of this work. Very good, and we'll include a link to the uh, report in the Federal News Network website so folks can have easy access to it. You know, it, it takes a village. It takes, as they used to, as we used to say in the Department of Defense, total force, which is the combination of the government workforce and our contractor partners. Uh, we have a lot of folks in the audience who are who are representatives of federal companies that do business with the government. And I know part of the conversation that you and I have been having is how organizations like ACTIA can help bring many voices to the table on this important issue. So I'm wondering, maybe you want to, what's some help that gov- the government contracting community could be doing to help support your efforts? Well, that's a really good question. And I really need to give some thought to that. I, I think that, you know, the challenges we face in government are similar to the challenges of every sector, right? So um, how we leverage contractors, you know, per across agencies vary in difference. I don't want to speak, I mean, specifically speak about one agency or another, but I guess when it comes to DEIA, whether you're a, um, a contractor or not, My goal is to help everyone, all people understand that DEIA is for everyone. It includes everyone. It's not partisan. It is nonpartisan. It is about doing outreach to communities who have historically not had access to applying to federal, the federal government. For example, we're doing targeted outreach in rural communities that have lacked consistent access to broadband. We heard for years also that students and others in the early career talent community didn't know where to go to apply for internships. So OPM created an internship portal, which places all internship opportunities in one central location. That's a win. This is what we mean by equity. Equity is about giving people what they need to ensure fairness and, and, and equal opportunity. So we're providing college students and recent graduates what they need to access the many internships that oftentimes go unfilled because they were just not getting um, the students to the opportunities. Well, that portal is a true answer to a problem that we had and it meets the needs of our students. And so we're just trying to get the word out about the internship portal, which any anyone can, can go to interns slash usajobs.gov and take a look at all of our internship opportunities across the entire federal ethos. Yes. And to your point earlier about, you know, lessons learned, I think, you know, there's so many companies that have a lot of robust efforts going on in the DEIA space as well. And so being able to harness those best practices and bringing them into government and helping, as they say, continue to have a high tide rise all boats. You, you mentioned access to broadband as a challenge, you know, affecting change in large complex organizations like government agencies is not easy. And so I wonder if there's any other challenges like that that are sort of top of mind for you you'd like to make sure folks are thinking about as they go forward with this work? 100%. This is the statistic that keeps me up at night. This is what worries me the most. And I hope your listeners remember this because it is cataclysmic, catastrophic for all of us. Less than 7% of the federal workforce is under 30, which is absolutely daunting when we think about attracting early career talent to public service. And so 
as we think about who's coming in and we think about attrition and who's leaving and who's retiring, we've got to rethink our outreach efforts to compete with the private sector, which might I add are oftentimes dealing with a, you know record layoffs right now, especially in the tech area. So what we've done is really think about the challenge of doing targeted outreach so that we're making the case to the American people, no matter where you live, no matter, you know, whether you, you know, are coming in, 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 in a rural community that has lacked broadband, or perhaps you are coming in really thinking about um, and, and trying to tout the skills. Um, we have a whole skills-based hiring effort as well. We want everyone to know that careers in public service are exciting, where you can contribute to an important mission. We're trying to get the word out that a career in the federal government should be on everyone's radar because nearly every sector, every discipline or content area is represented across all federal agencies. So if you want to contribute to solving the 21st century problems of our world, public service is where it's at. All right. Public service, noble calling and attracting and retaining the workforce of the future, a really crucial topic. And that's where we'll have to end it for today. Dr. Janice Underwood is the government-wide chief diversity officer. Janice, thank you for the outstanding work that you're doing. Thank you for your leadership on these crucial topics. And thank you for taking the time to join us today. We're going to take a short break now. And when we return, we'll be joined by the Department of Labor CIO, Gandeep Alawalia. I'm Dave Wendergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. I'm Dave Wendergren, and on this portion of today's show, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by federal technology leader Gundeep Alawalia, the Chief Information Officer at the Department of Labor and the Executive Vice President of the American Council for Technology. Welcome to the show, Gundeep. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a tough act to follow after Janice, but thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. Well, Janice does bring a lot of great energy to the important job that she has, but so do you, my friend. And so it's great to have you on the show. And first and foremost, thank you for your leadership of ACT-IAC and more broadly for everything that you're doing for the wider federal technology community. Why don't we start by letting you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background leading up to your current job? So, uh, Dave, a little bit about me. I have been at labor for about six and a half years, and it has been a a very fulfilling part of my professional career. Um, I am uh, incredibly um, fortunate uh, to be a Generation Zero immigrant who immigrated to the United States through the H-1B program, the beginnings of which are in the Department of Labor. So reforming and digitizing that process is close to my heart. Uh, That last uh, paper, uh, labor certificate that went out, sits framed behind me and is, is, is a part of the immigration journey for me. I, um, I've uh, obviously uh, been a part of labor for six and a half years, like I said, uh, but a, lo- a, lo- a lot of good work has happened in, in that time. I do want to talk about uh, the programs in, in labor. Sometimes they get lost behind the jobless claims number that everybody focuses on. But we do a lot more than that. We are obviously trying to protect workers through our wage and hour. 
uh, OSHA for uh, workplace safety and health, uh, keeping mines safe by inspecting them uh, on uh, at least twice a year. But we also protect your 401ks. We are also investing a a grant portfolio to retrain America. We have about $23 billion of active grants. Uh, With all these emerging tech and self-driving cars, I believe we need to retrain the American workforce. And that's an important part that the U.S. Department of Labor does. Uh, We also help veterans, the veteran uh, uh, transition assistance program, integrating them back from uh, active duty into civilian life has actually run out of veteran employment training services, which is a part of the Department of Labor. And I talked about the immigration journey. Every immigrant, your first stop is the Department of Labor, uh, whether you're applying for a, a, a green card or, or these temp worker programs uh, that are run out of our Office of Department of Labor certificate. So you can imagine the breadth of that mission delivery portfolio uh, at labor and it's therefore uh, extremely hard and important to bring an IT program that allows to transform these very different yet important mission areas. Yes and there's just so much important work going on I appreciate you sharing that with the audience and then you have a way cool job at labor you're the CIO which is like an awesome I'll say challenge and opportunity. Tell us a little bit about the job of CIO at Department of Labor and some of the things that are like top of mind for you. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, like I said, uh, there is a, a diversity of, of mission areas. Uh, I think I, uh, I would like to basically put two buckets of work that we are doing. One is uh, a, a investment, a continued investment in our infrastructure our laptops, our, uh, and building resilience to sort of support the workplace of tomorrow, right? Post-COVID, post-pandemic, what we have realized is now we have a highly mobile workforce that expects all the services from home as they expect the same services when they come to the office, right? So you can't only invest in your VPN technology and remote technologies alone, but they, you also have to build resilience in your network so that if they come show up at office, uh, they are able to do that work uh, in, in the same manner as they used to. So we continue to do a lot in order to reform and build resilience in our infrastructure, laptops, teams, collaboration capabilities uh, in, in a secure manner, right? So, so that's one part of the work. The other side, which I believe is uh, is a little more public facing, is to actually transform uh, customer experience and our mission delivery apps, right? So we have been steadily trying to pay down our technical debt and transform multiple uh, uh, different applications, both public facing and internal facing. And like I said, I give this example for Immigration, I, I, I truly, you know, uh, the, 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 this paper, this currency-like paper that we used to to import and then print it out and send it through snail mail is gone, right? Uh, but that's the kind of reform and customer experience we need to bring to all our uh, 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 program areas. And that is where we are focusing quite a bit. Uh, we also are looking at our data, I think, there is uh, 
like most government agencies, we have we are sitting on a treasure trove of data, uh, but we are information poor when we need it for decision making. Right. So I think we are trying to reform uh, that infrastructure. And part of it is about culture. Right. It, it is. How do we reform culture? This, how do we, uh, this is not my data. This is DOL data. So how do we use that as well? Last but not the least, I will tell you there is an incredible focus on implementing the cybersecurity executive order, which uh, uh, zero trust, uh, you know, multi-factor authentication, enhanced logging, that takes a lot of our attention, focus, and rightly so, because all of the other mission I- I- delivery gets uh, threatened or jeopardized if anything bad happens from a cybersecurity perspective. So that's a 60-second a, a uh, overview of all that is happening across labor. There is so much good stuff in there, and we're going to come back to some of those topics if we have more time in a little bit. But you've got an exciting event coming up on May 18th. Federal Tech Day 2023. Tell us a little bit about that event, who it targets, and what will folks see that come and participate in the event? So, Dave, you have been a CIO, so you know how hard sometimes it gets to have a conversation with programs about technology and how actually an investment in technology is going to help their mission delivery. And oftentimes you find as a CIO that you are trying to shove technology down their throat, right? So I think a few years ago, we realized like, hey, you know what? That conversation would have been so much easier if we had an event where programs come in and show how their technology is actually enabling mission delivery. Because you know what? The program folks listen to each other a lot better than they listen to us techies, right? So that was the origin of this event uh, a few years ago. Uh, Suzette Kent at that time was the federal CIO. She joined and the CIO council sort of co-sponsored it in 2019. Then the pandemic happened and and we are bringing that back this year. So a a bunch of things that are gonna happen. Um, Obviously uh, a lot of dignitaries are going to be here. Claire, who's our federal CIO is going to be here. We are going to showcase technology from the investments made by the Technology Modernization Fund. We are going to have emerging tech. We'll be flying drones. We have Congressman Connolly coming from from the Hill, uh, and hopefully we will have other dignitaries uh, by then who would have confirmed. Uh, The registration for the event is open. It's May 18th. If you search for USDOL Tech Day, on Google, that is the first link you find and you can register, uh, come and see us that day. It is not focused on vendors. Of course, vendors will be present, but it is focused on uh, feds telling other feds these stories uh, where we can sort of cross-pollinate and utilize and create a pull for the CIOs. Rather than the CIOs shoving technology down your throat, it should be the programs coming to us and say, hey, I went to Federal Tech Day and I, I saw a whole bunch of uh, cool stuff. How can I use this new case management system or this forms recognizer? Or how can I use a drone to do an inspection that I have been doing manually in the past? What data analytics can I use, etc.? We have a lot of uh, uh, attendees from other federal agencies. U.S. Department of Agriculture is coming. IRS is coming. Department of Energy is going to be a 
a co-host with us uh, and a whole host of other agencies are going to be there. Act IAC is going to be participating as well, which is uh, we are very excited about. And I think it's a, it's a, it's an event for people to see how mission delivery can be achieved. Another thing I, I want to remind people is uh, also we're going to invite a lot of people, staffers from the Hill, right? So the appropriators and the authorizers get to see where the money is being invested when it comes to technology that is focused on mission delivery. So that is another aspect uh, which is important, right? Otherwise, uh, it becomes very um, hard for the Hill to experience what is happening at the ground level. And this is an event that will uh, target that as well. So looking forward, uh, please come, please register. The registration link I said is open. Uh, Just search for DOL Tech Day and you can go in and register there. It's going to be a very exciting event. And I'll say for our audience, you'll find a link to register for the event on the Federal News Network website. We're going to take a short break now. And when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Department of Labor CIO and all-around great guide, Gandiba Walia. I'm Dave Wintergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wintergren, and we're talking about technology challenges and opportunities with an outstanding federal technology leader, Gandeep Alawalia, the CIO of the Department of Labor and Executive Vice President of the American Council for Technology. Um, We were talking about Tech Day, and we'll remind our audience that you can register and learn more about Tech Day by going to the Federal News Network website. You know, another area where you have shown some great leadership is in your support of ACT-IAC's efforts to enhance the FATARA scorecard. So first, thank you for your leadership in agreeing to pilot the proposed new FATARA measures at your agency. And let's just sort of talk a little bit about FATARA scorecards and, you know, why is it important to measure tech outcomes and how do you make sure you have the right measures in place And what are some of the measures that seem to be most helpful to you? So what you can't measure, you will never improve. It is true for IT. It is true for any field that you are in. I I remember um, I was at a a metrics, quality metrics conference at one point in time, where even these guys in Formula One racing, they have 20, 30 dials that they're measuring constantly in order to win these races. Can you imagine that? Uh, well, in, on FITARA, on IT progress, I think the traditional metrics that have been put out from, by Congress and GAO have helped move the needle forward on many fronts, right? It is, uh, the data center consolidation has helped. Uh, I actually congratulate ACT, IAC, and all the members who came together to see what got us here how does it need to be changed in order in order to make further improvement? Uh, so we were one of those lucky uh, uh, organizations that got to collaborate with you and and do a little bit of piloting on on that front. I do believe that uh, many of these measures, as designed in your report from uh, Act IAC, are going to be very helpful. Uh, I think the the MGT Act. Uh, um, uh, the measurement around measuring legacy and how quickly we are modernizing and transforming, I think that's extremely helpful. Incremental 
uh, uh, incremental uh, uh, development is going to be very helpful. I think it's important to measure uh, uh, on on cybersecurity and 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 FISMA uh, uh, as well. So there there were several uh, different uh, measures that we are trying to put in place, not only for reporting to Fatara and externally, uh, but also internally at, at the Department of Labor. I feel like it is extremely important to change these metrics and, uh, and, and also be able to compare different agencies, how we are doing uh, uh, in, in, on, on different fronts. So I think it is a work in progress, Dave. Uh, many of the, the new uh, measures that we piloted right, were easy uh, to, and, and effective in our experience. But then there were some where we found it very hard to, to put together uh, the, the data as well. And all of that feedback we will provide through the ACT IAC and hopefully learn and, and go forward from there. So I, I think uh, uh, we, we should be in a good spot. Yes, no doubt. The things that we measure are the things we focus our time and attention on. And, you know, and you talked about, I love particularly the technology modernization angle that, you know, focusing on the progress of a plan is just so much important than the oversight gotcha moment about what's not happening, right? And you've been such a positive champion for change. I'm wondering, as you survey the federal technology landscape, both at your own agency, but even more broadly across government, if you want, what are some of the initiatives and successes that you're seeing out there that we should you know, be excited about. So again, we don't just focus on like what isn't working, but we focus on there's a bunch of good stuff going on. Yeah, so there is a lot of good good uh, work that is happening. Uh, so I, I'll talk a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, the work that we are doing in our uh, uh, workman compensation claims. So this is another one that I left out in the intro. We are the largest workman compensation claim processor in the country for her. Uh, 2.5 million federal employees, right? So a lot of HIPAA-protected PII information and claims are coming in. And this was, like many of the other benefit programs in the government, was very forms-intensive, right? So one of the things that we really need to be able to do is uh, machine-read, digitize these forms, but then also... Uh, because there will always be people who are on the other side of that digital divide who will fill out paper and submit it, right? So we need also the capability to read these forms and intelligently populate data and pre-digest it for claims processor. I, I feel like that technology is not only flourishing in our OWCP realm, we are doing uh, 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 everything electronically this time, and then we, in fact, lately in, in one of our energy programs, uh, we don't even ask the claimant to vet, sign it on a piece of paper anymore. It's a digital signature that they do, on, on, and, and we accept that, and the claims are processed. And I feel like a plethora of federal agencies, agriculture, IRS, uh, a whole bunch of other agencies are in, in that technology space uh, a lot. The other area I think where we are investing heavily is to automate our processes, right? So uh, it's about bots, right? Part of it is bots. And I'll give you a simple example. We went, in, went, to, we went into COVID and our performance plans were signed uh, through by hand in, in the past. Now we digitally sign all of them. But when we upload them into OPM, 
because of the dates in the digital signatures, the uploads failed. And our HR staff took months and months to upload these things. Now my bot actually does it in two hours. Okay. And, and all of that staff time can go towards productive work. Um, in our contracting process, we do responsibility determination before we award a contract, right? It takes a while. Now we do a, do it through a bot. It takes in under a minute. And that can be extremely valuable for contracting officers, especially in, in Q4. But here's the thing. We have to couple it with AI so that it, you digest it and then offer it to humans and go, this is red, yellow, green, or highlight to, to the areas that are required. FOIA, I mean, discovery and, and, and trying to annotate these things. Uh, there's a whole lot of technology being used there. I am so excited, Dave. There is, there is so much that is possible. I know the VR technology is moving forward uh, in, in a big way. Our mind safety training, like fire drills and things of that nature, uh, we've been able to you know, do those. I, I know NIOSH is heavily invested in those areas as well. Uh, flying drones for all sorts of, we inspect oil rigs in OSHA so that we, our investigators don't have to, to climb oil rigs that are high and are, are treacherous to climb in, in, in the first place, but are very important to, to inspect on a regular basis. So the technology uh, uh, and, and, and how it's being brought to uh, bear on mission delivery is amazing across the board, including labor. Well, I am inspired for sure by all the great things that are going on. Gandiba Walia is the CIO of the Department of Labor, an outstanding leader and a change champion. Gandeep, thank you so much for joining us today. As a reminder, Federal Tech Day is May 18th at the Department of Labor. We're also just a few weeks away from this year's ACT-IAC Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference. The successful adoption of emerging technologies and innovative approaches and solutions are key to the resiliency and future effectiveness of government. This year's conference theme is Powering Progress, Accelerating Emerging Technologies in the Future. Please plan on joining us in Cambridge, Maryland on May 7th to the 9th to share, collaborate, network, and learn. And finally, it's not too late to register for the ACT-IAC Climate Change Summit on April 17th at the Kerasoft Conference Center in Reston, Virginia. Summit will spotlight the administration's efforts to improve, preserve, and protect America's public health and environment and address policies, programs, and partnerships to advance sustainability and climate resilient operations. If you'd like to learn more about any of these events, check out the Federal News Network website or go to our website, www.actiac.org. I'm Dave Wenergren, and you've been listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Thanks for listening to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Accelerating Government on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.